started. So we, uh, first of all, want to humble ourselves. We're in the presence of God. You are God. We're not God. You have made it super clear in Jesus that you care about us to the nth degree. And for that, we're grateful to whatever dimension we're aware of it. Thank you, Lord. Thank you so much. Father, we're going to ask you to speak to us today through your word. We pray that you would shape any misconceptions we have about you, even about our own life, about what makes sense, what is the good order of things. Please use me, Lord. I stand here for your glory and to benefit these people with the wisdom that came from our King Jesus' mouth. Amen. Amen. Today we're going to talk about your heart. We're, we're in the middle of a series on uh, the sermon that Jesus preached. It's really his most famous sermon. It's probably the most famous sermon anybody's ever preached. The Sermon on the Mount where Jesus gathered with a huge group of people that had started following him after he made a, a couple pronouncements. One, the pronouncement of the kingdom of God is at hand. Something is happening right now that's never happened before. The thing that all the prophets, really the, all the Old Testament was sort of pointing to, that one day God would have God's way. And he said, now that's coming among you, in me. Jesus was nothing if not confident. And when he talks to people, he talks about the law, but he talks about writing the law in people's hearts. Here's a, here's a word from the prophet Jeremiah. I will put my heart within them, speaking of his people Israel. I will put my heart within them. I will write it on their heart. Uh, wait, I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they will be my people. And the idea that God is saying there is that the law is of great value, but it is of most value when it is written on the hearts of people, where it is just, uh, you know, indistinguishable from the person. That person has, has swallowed it, has incorporated it. They're living out the law of God. It's not just a rule that they feel some degree of, uh, of uh, deference for or obligation to. The law really doesn't function very well that, that way, and especially doesn't function in this way where you say, I have now checked off the law, thus satisfying my requirements to God and freeing me to do whatever I want from here on in. And a lot of religion is like that. If I do this much, can I then do whatever I want? And the law often, in, in, the, in the history of the people of God, functions in that way as some kind of a checklist that they would check it off. Or, in worst case scenario, if they're not going to check it off, then kind of put a mask on to seem as though they were checking it off. So God wants to write it on our hearts. The first week I said God uh, starts this whole message with the message of change. Repent because this is happening. Repent because the kingdom of God is here. And then I told you about how Jesus looks at humanity and says, you people are flying your plane upside down. Yes, uh, you, it does fly at some level, but it's all different than the way God would have it. And so Jesus comes, and sometimes scholars will talk about uh, the upside-down kingdom, the message of Jesus being an upside-down kingdom. But Jesus' perspective is, you people are living upside down. You don't really know what is the genuine, abundant life, the really, really good life. This week I was uh, purchasing a suit. I said I was doing a wedding. 
Turns out I've grown a little bit since the last wedding, and I, I, I need a new suit, so I quickly had to get a suit at the last minute. And I, I went to a store that sells suits. I'm not going to mention the store by name. You've probably been to this store before, but who am I to badmouth anybody, you know? So I go to this store, and it's a shambles. It's terrible. The coats aren't near the matching pants. The, 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 th the things that are supposed to match aren't even the same color. So I'm looking. I'm an artist. I really care about color. I'm looking at the black suit coat and the black pants. One's sort of blue. One's kind of black. And I comment on that to the guy who was serving me, which he was great, by the way. And he goes, yeah, they're not the same color, which is kind of the point of suits, <laughs> right? What other clothes do you buy? Like, I want the shirt to be exactly the same color as the pants. No, that's a suit is together. It goes together. You can find anything. It was all over. Some spread out over some like 12 racks were the, the legitimate territory where I was supposed to find the pants that would go with the jackets that I was looking at. And it was frustrating. It was frustrating to me. It was frustrating to the guy who was helping me. And then at the end, he said this. Now, put this in your mind. I'm going to refer to it again. He said, that's just the way retail is. Okay? You know, people come in. They move things all over. There's nothing we can do about it. I'm sorry you're having a tough time. I agree it's not right. But that's just the way retail is. I came back after two hours sort of frustrated and also thinking, wonder if I can get some stretchy elastic thing for my old suit, right? I go out again that night, same brand store, just different location in our lovely area here. I go in, it's like suit heaven. <laughs> jackets, variety of jackets, all next to matching variety of pants. Buy them, go, hem them, done, right? Fantastic. I call Barb on the way home. I'm like, I am a victor. I have discovered suit nirvana. Like it's just, I'm just, I'm so happy. But, but I go in. It, it's at least proof that that's not how retail is. There's such a thing as an organized store and a disorganized store, and there's a tendency in the human heart to go, that's just the way things are. That's how this world is. There's murder, there's rape, there's, there's dysfunction, there's corruption. It's just the way things are. And if we're going to accept just kind of like this basic idea like, look, this world does kind of stink, and money is kind of king here, and prayer is kind of irrational and sort of silly and maybe sort of secondary or extra. And when a woman's walking down the street, she has to just accept the fact that guys will catcall her, or maybe harass her, or follow her. You just got to accept that. That's just the way things are. That's the way retail is. And we got to accept that it's possible at any mall or any school that there'll be a shooting. We don't have to accept that. Jesus comes against that. He wants to create the world in the image of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is at hand and he speaks with such authority. That's one thing you'll notice in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is like filled with confidence that we don't have to accept the way things are. Then he goes on to talk about the people who might possibly or could, if they just would want it, accept blessing from above. 
the people who could enter into the kingdom way, the new way, a kind of new righteousness that he talks about, these people who are blessed. And it's everybody. It's people you'd never expect, people who are mourning, people who don't know much about spirituality, people who just seem like always hungry to get things right or always hungry to have things right in the world, uh, people who are getting mocked or persecuted or lied on, uh, lied about because they are somehow faithful to Jesus. He says, oh, no, blessing goes to these people. And I said this was last week. I said to you last week that blessing comes to you. Blessing goes in every direction. Blessing goes to a whole roster of people that you might not even think are in the blessed. And again, in the upside-down world that we live in, we've, we've got a whole list of like, who's living a really good life. And it's probably not the same list that Jesus did. So today I want to say, how was one uh, step into that blessing? Well, it'll happen at your heart, where Jesus starts writing on your heart, where you start accepting that his ways are different than our ways, and that our heart can be deceptive, and that we might need to relearn some things, even that we learned in church. Now, uh, I was talking this week to the esteemed philosopher and member of this church, Rich Kroll, and he said to me this, he said, why are you doing this? Okay, now Rich is, Rich is in a small group I lead that's also covering this material and sort of helping me write this, and um, he's, he's a jolly giant of a man, right? If you know Rich, he's a fantastic guy. I just love this guy so much, and he's always thinking. I mean, just... He, he looks like a football player, but he thinks, you know, like a philosopher. And he's just always, and he says, it seems like you're beating your head against the wall with this stuff. Like, like, this stuff is not like the way anybody thinks. And what he thinks a lot, he works on a lot, is the question of, yeah, but still, I just want to know, who's going to heaven? Okay? And I said, well, what if that's not the, the first thing that Jesus is talking about? Heaven's coming to us. And we can enter into it or avoid it, avoid it, you know, like dodge it, evade it. And, I, and he said, all right, so why are you doing this? What are you trying to do? And I, I just said this, I want for our people, I want this church to be a, a, a just hundreds and hundreds of people who enter into the reign of God, who joyfully, humbly, surprisingly enter into the life of God, the abundant life, the eternal life. This, this life that jo Jesus said he came, and John 10, he said, I came to give life and very abundant life, like, like overflowing life. I, I want our church to understand how to live the Jesus kind of life. And if you've been around long enough, you know that one of my favorite parts of the Bible is Luke 15, this famous story that Jesus tells about the prodigal son. And the prodigal son is an interesting story, and I'd love to go into it now, but I did that last night and found it left me with no time for the real sermon. So let me just say this. The prodigal son is a story. Prodigal means generous, right? It's really a story about the father at the center of the story, but it got named back in the day someday. And it, it just means this. It means generous like to the point of wasteful. So it gets named after this first son, this rebel son. There's a rebel son. Who, who, who says to his dad, die. I mean, not really die. You can stay alive if you want, but I just want what I really want from you, which is your money, and then I'm going to go. I'm going to just leave you. And so this rebel son leaves his father, and he goes out, and over time, he just lives like a wild man and spends all his money. Imagine that, right? He doesn't, 
not the kind of guy that like has a savings plan, you know, doesn't tithe, right? You know, like, this is a guy who just goes like, well, I got a lot of money, what? And he just lives until he's totally broken, starving, feeding pigs for a living. And he imagines he could go back to his dad and sort of beg to his dad. And then there's, a, meanwhile, there's another son out of this family who stays home. And this guy, he's not a rebel, but he like, it's like he misses all the good things that come along in the father's house. He misses all the parties because he never asked for a party. He misses all the dancing because he doesn't want to go in when there's music playing. He imagines what his brother's doing while his brother's out living this kind of wild life. And I think, in, in, the case, in this case, the, sec, the, the, the older brother, the brother who stays home, sort of represents people who kind of get religion without joy, without heart writing, without any of the good parts of knowing the father. Now, in the center of the story is a father who runs, a father who kisses, a father who hugs, a father who forgives, a father who dances, a father who throws parties, kills a big cow to make as many burgers as possible. And, like, it's just, like, if you think of the story, who is the star of the story? Well, it's this amazing father in the story. Jesus is coming to say, look, you don't have to be a rebel going, God, I don't want you, or I'll stay home, but I'm not going to like it. You can know the joy of knowing the Father in your real life. And when Jesus comes, it's like he's the one son who ever really participated in the joy of the Father. And he says, let's export this. We're going down. Boom. And he steps into the world and he comes with this. Wherever he goes, people are getting healed. People are getting set free. People are hearing teaching that's kind of amazing, like Think about how often, what happens at the end of Jesus' teaching is that people are amazed. We've never heard anything like this before. Now they've had hundreds of years of teaching of the law, right? And so that's what brings us to this point where Jesus is going to go through a list of things and he's going to say, well, you always heard it taught this way, but I want to teach it to you this way. And for us, honestly, we've heard it taught some old ways too. I think before we're done, you're going to disagree with me or Jesus. If I get it right, you'll be disagreeing with me and Jesus. But before we're done, you'll be like, that's not what that means. But then if you just read it later, you'll think like, it seems like that's what it means. It's hard to believe that Jesus means what he says. It, it, when somebody comes from another place, they speak a different language. They're talking a different language. Okay, so now... I want to say we had some success getting the intro done faster than last night. Here we go. All right. Here's, here's what Jesus says. Do not think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Truly, I tell you, unless heaven and earth or until heaven and earth disappear, you really will disagree with me if I change the words. Until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, a jot or a tittle, we used to say, right? will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. 
Okay, here we go. <laughs> Dallas, Dallas Willard, uh, whose book is, is uh, a, a touch point for me on this topic here, you know, says, boy, if somebody said to you, I'm going to go study the law that I might obey, you would think, wow, that person is way out of line with Jesus, right? Some of you might be thinking, Jesus said this? Are we sure Jesus said that? But Jesus said this, okay? So Jesus comes, and what he's trying to do here, as far as I understand, he's coming to fulfill, to, to maybe flesh out would be a good, good thing, like, like, like bump out, make from two dimensions into three dimensions what the law was even talking about in the very first place, okay? What would happen if we, we uh, kept him two-dimensional? Like, think about this, okay? Now, we haven't read it yet, but we're gonna, I'm just going to refer to some things that are about to hit us. You've heard it before, probably, okay? Think about if I was advertising my Messiah. Here's my king. Here's my Jesus. I want you to think he's swell, okay? What if I said this to you? Uh, if, see what you would think. Come and see my king, my Messiah, Jesus. He has never poisoned anyone. Oh, and another thing, my king, my, my savior, Jesus, Messiah of all, he never slept with Peter's wife. Also, he wasn't even married, let alone divorced. Oh, and also, he keeps his oaths. He's, he just, if he says he's going to do something, if he swears, boom, he keeps his oaths like that. You know, come and see my Messiah, if somebody hurts him, he hurts them back equally, right? Come and see my Messiah. If somebody hates him, he hates them. But he is great with his friends, right? That's not much of a, an advertisement. You think like, yeah, yeah, so does my cousin Bill, right? Like, it's just not much. But that's the law that he's going to talk about today. That's the law that we're going to look at here. It's not much light. It won't change the room. If somebody's like that, you'll think, oh, that's good. He never murders anybody. He never sleeps with somebody he's not married to. Fantastic, right? But still, maybe not Messiah level, okay? So let's see what he's talking about. Well, he's talking about the kingdom of heaven. He's talking about entering into this thing that came with him the way it is at God's party, at God's house, where there's love, where there's forgiveness, where the rules are changed around, where enemies are welcomed back, where, where uh, it's, it's reason to celebrate. Reconciliation is somehow right at the core. It's what makes the band jump to its feet. It's, it's what makes the dance start happening. And then how do we enter into the righteousness? Well, he says, you, I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not ever get into this party. You'll never be able to enjoy this unless you're somehow surpassing them. Well, well, what's he talking about? I mean, these guys were fastidious. They were absolutely just on point of staying like, what does the law say? We'll do this. We'll count our steps. We'll, we'll count how much we rest, how much we're not resting. What could we possibly get away with in keeping Sabbath? It's, it's crazy how fussy they were in not disobeying God. But Jesus, over the course of his ministry, just clashes with these guys at a fundamental level. I want to show you two incidents. One is in Matthew 15. Then some Pharisees and the teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem, and they asked, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders, and they don't wash their hands before they eat? Now, first of all, I'm a germaphobe. I would say that grosses me out, too. Guys, wash your hands. But still, what, 
I, I mean, I'm kind of, you know, with the Pharisees on this one. Wash your hands before you eat. But what they're, what they're saying is not like, are their hands clean? And I have no idea. I don't think they believed in germs. I don't think the germs were even thought of yet. But um, they, what, they're do, what they're offended is, there's a law about this. These people are just going ahead and eating. And then Jesus calls them on something. And uh, let, me, let me just read it. Okay, he says, he, he like comes back so strong. You would think, nice, gentle, shepherd Jesus. He's, no. Why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? God said, honor your mother and your father. Anybody who curses your mother or father be put to death. Primarily what that law is, is about taking care of your parents. No social systems in place. As your parents age, honor who they've been in your life and take care of them. Uh, certainly it would apply all throughout your life. I'm not saying there's a part where you're supposed to dishonor your parents. But really, take care of your parents as they age is, is a, a primary way to fulfill that. But you say anybody who declares what might have been used to help their father and mother is devoted to God. It's a technical word. Uh, it's a word that just means um, this this is special money now. It can't be used for general purposes like caring for mom and dad. It's God's money. It's korban. It's a word, okay? It's, it's God's word. So they use the law to set aside the money essentially to avoid giving it away. It's devoted to God. It's still in my account, ironically, but devoted to God. Um, they are not to honor your mother and father with it. In other words, they write a rule around one of the Ten Commandments that would keep them legally in the right and leave mom and dad in poverty. Thus, you nullify the word of God. He's not, he's not denying that, that they're somehow using the word of God. He's saying you're nullifying it for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrite. Isaiah, the prophet, who, who's one of these guys who joins in a, a kind of a you know, multi-century quest for something called righteousness that we would be living well that we would be righteous that we would live out what is best something like the word virtue but 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 more related to your relationship with god we're right with god we're living in in harmony and unity with the living god you uh these people honor me with their lips but their hearts are far from me they worship me in vain they're teaching merely human rules. So what he's saying about some teachers is they will talk religion all day long, but they're using religion as a way to avoid doing righteousness in this world or justice, which is very, very similar words. Sometimes the same word is translated justice or righteousness. And so what he said, here's another one, okay? Just to, I can't even get into this one. It's just so intense. Teaches the law, the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat uh, so that you must be careful to do everything they tell you. But they do not do, uh, do uh, but do not do what they do for they don't practice what they preach. In other words, you might want to listen to what they're saying, but their life is not in harmony with that. They tie up heavy, burdensome loads. They put it on people's shoulders. They themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. They are older brothers. They know something about, as the older brother says, not disobeying, right? But they 
constantly burden the people under their teaching. And, and the more people like, you know, kind of live under this teaching, they're burdened. They don't know exactly how to even be, how to fulfill this. Woe to you, teachers of the law, Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven. That's pretty much the job description of the religious people of the world. Open the door to the kingdom of heaven. Make it possible that somebody could reconceive what it would be like to be under God's rule. What would it be like? And he's saying, you people, the way you teach and then don't do, you're shutting a door to them. You yourselves don't enter, nor do you let those enter who are trying to. Woe to you, teachers, law, Pharisees, you hypocrites, travel over land and sea to win a single convert. And when you've succeeded, you've made them twice as much a child as hell as you. And then he calls them blind guides, right? In other words, do you, do you want your GPS not to know where you're going or where doesn't really have any advice and still keep pumping out information to you? These Pharisees kept pumping out things. They, in, at one level, at mouth level, the things they were pumping out were matching Scripture, but they were making people fit for hell. They're making people fit, fit for hell. And the righteousness that's beyond the Pharisees is the righteousness that starts when you just say, Jesus, right on my heart, make me the, the man or the woman or the, the teenager that you're trying to make me, Jesus. Jesus, I don't, I don't want to be a hypocrite. What I actually want is to stop being a look, loophole looker. But I, keep, I keep working my way through my faith. Like, how can it seem as though I'm, I'm technically keeping this rule and not yet be touched by the authority, by the blessing, by the, the, the life of God. What God is calling you into is an abundant life, but you, you can't avoid him and get it. You have to respond to him. And so now we'll go through this list of things, this sort of famous list here. So the first one's about murder, okay? And in each case, there'll be like an old righteousness. The old righteousness is don't murder. It's one of the Ten Commandments, right? You've heard it said from people long ago, you shall not murder, but anybody who murders will be subject to judgment. Nobody in here disagrees. He's not going to put this rule aside. Still with Jesus, murder's bad. Okay, just to be clear. Okay, just think about it. Murder's terrible. Right? So here's the deal, folks. In Philadelphia last year, it's 356 murders in our city. 300, I mean, stunning number of people die. If there was a disaster where 356 people died, we'd be like, oh, do you remember that disaster in Philadelphia, 2019? 356 people died that day. Oh, my gosh, it's terrible. Of course, it's still terrible. 34 people have died already this year in Philadelphia from murder. It's still terrible, right? But I tell you, anybody who's angry with brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Anyone who's says to a brother or sister, raka, which is like a contempt word. It's almost like the word like if you're you know, getting a big spit up, right? Like, it's just like contempt, right? Is answerable to the court. Anybody who says, you fool, will be in danger. The fire of hell, and just a little funny little thing here off to the side. When Dallas goes to talk about it, he says, it's like calling somebody a twit or a twerp. I'm thinking, Dallas, you do not live in Delco, right? Okay, that's not... <laughs> Not how we really, we'll really walk our way right up to hell, right? You twit. But he's from the Midwest, and he's an old, old-time gentleman. 
And then he says this, therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and remember a brother or sister has something against you, you're in the middle of preaching a sermon. You're in the middle of performing a wedding or a funeral. And you remember, oh my gosh, my brother, my brother is mad at me. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. Go and be reconciled. Can you imagine how dramatic I would be like, oh my gosh, my brother is. <laughs> You'd be like, what, what just happened? But there would be like a reordering of like what's actually important. What's actually important is people, reconciliation, love is what's at the center. Really, the answer in church is always going to get back to love. Like, take care of your brother and sister. There's a problem. Go get it right. Settle matters. Okay, now we go to an adversary. Somebody's taking you to court. Somebody's suing you. Do it while you're still together on the way, or your adversary might hand you over to the judge. The judge, judge might hand you over to the officer. You might be thrown into prison. I tell you truly, you won't get out until you have paid the last penny. And he just sort of plays out a little story there. But the idea is this. If it's in your power, somebody's suing you, see what you can do above and beyond. Go, like, he's trying not just to get us to not murder, but to be like this reconciliation force in the whole world. He's, he's, he's saying, look, there's something that you're so well aware of, like anger, that's just, it's right there. I've told you before, this is something I've been working on all my life. Uh, but it comes out of insecurity. It doesn't come out of strength in, it, in any way. I just, a little insecure, and I've found over time you could flash up, shake up the room, and maybe get your way or win the, win the moment, right? And it's right there still today. I will say, I'd say probably over the course of 40 years, 39 years of walking with the Lord now, uh, the, the change in my anger is the most dramatic way that I know that God really works in a person. And you asked Barbara about this. We're, I'm just a different guy than she married now because I'm less self-righteous. I've prayed this prayer many times. You know, help me out, God. This just comes way too easy to me. And right behind anger is this, this idea of contempt. Where you start looking down on other people. You, you think, who are you to cross my will? It's like somebody who does something across your will. And, and at the top of that stack is your will. So I'm in the theater. We watched this great movie, Just Mercy. I totally recommend you see this movie, Just Mercy. I'm in this movie. It's about guys, a believer, doing incredible things under tremendous pressure. And I turn on my camera to take a picture to sort of say on Facebook everywhere, I'm looking at this great movie, right? And some person behind me raps on the back of my chair in an angry way. Not like, excuse me, sir, could you turn your phone off? It, it was just like angry. And right away, I flashed up. Like, who does she, you know? I thought, you know, I'm going over the options real quick. Meanwhile, a guy is like giving his life away to serve people who are imprisoned, you know. I'm like, I'll tell her. But I, like, it's stupid. Me, I'm stupid. Like, and Jesus is going like, look, you know, you're probably not, I'm, I'm probably not. At this point, I think I can coast home not murdering anybody. <laughs> Fairly confident. So far, so good. Don't laugh at me. <laughs> Jesus says, I want to write on your heart, reconciler. I want to write on your heart, secure man, loved person, flexible in a situation, 
if somebody's cross with you, you don't have to be cross with them. Somebody's suing you, you could actually figure out something. By the way, none of these things are laws. None of these things are laws, like the thing that you have to do. Like, you don't have to leave your gift at the altar. He's just saying, like, you know, here's a plan. Like, stop being religious and go talk to the person. Go, you know, here's a plan. Somebody's suing you. Why don't you just see if there's a way to make it right? See if there's something you could do. Okay, let me say another one, and then the others are going to have to just fall into, they all follow this pattern, okay? Uh, here's what the new righteousness is. Anger and contempt come from the same place. Desire reconciliation. Initiate reconciliation. Like, it's again, it's not a law. It's just this thing. All of these things serve this purpose to say there is a possibility now to get to get with the king in his new kingdom that he's working in this world, get with him and um, and and find a new create creativity, a new prayerfulness. This is one of the things he says, ask, seek, knock. It's possible for you. If you have contempt for somebody, you just think, how in the world did this person get into this position? For you to come into the new kingdom, not by, not by looking down at them, not by talking to your friends about them, not by you know, flashing on Facebook about them, but praying for them, reconciling with them, honoring them, praying for their well-being, praying for an inbreak of the kingdom in their own life, praying that you wouldn't be a person of contempt. Okay, here's another one, and then we'll just, I'll just refer to the other ones. Uh, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. But I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Um, interesting little thing. I, I just think these days, this doesn't go just one direction where like men are the ones who lust and women don't lust because I think that sadly there's just been a catch-up time there. Maybe it's always been that way, but it just there's a sad... There's a sad, sick desire in our hearts woven and reinforced by our culture and pornography and every TV show you watch and talk shows and ways, the, the way every, it's like the whole store is chaos. And the owners of the store go, oh, it's just the way retail is. Lust is just a given. We don't, we don't have, for instance, any sense that some kind of sex would be wrong. Mostly, we just, the, the, Sex that we think is wrong is maybe with minors, right? Or non-consensual rape. I mean, all, all rape is non-consensual. But, all, you know, we just, we just think as long as there's two adults that agree to it, it's okay. It doesn't matter who they're married to, right? We, we, it's very hard as a pastor to talk about sex these days because we've lost that sense that anything besides uh, just the most extreme, could be unhealthy, right? And then you hear Jesus talking about adultery here. You shall not commit adultery. Of course you shouldn't commit adultery. Sex is made for the context of marriage. You, you honor marriage, right? But I tell you, anybody who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery in his heart. I want to flash this up here. <coughs> Because this is one area where I think NIV, the translation we typically use here, is not as helpful. And the translation uh, uh, talks about, it just says, looks at a woman lustfully. 
Um, ESV, which is a strong translation, says with lustful intent. There's this idea that you look to lust. You look to desire. Lust just means strong desire. When Jesus, uh, when Jesus spoke to his disciples on the night he was betrayed, he said, I have eagerly desired to have this meal with you. Exact same word, okay? I, like he's saying, I lusted to have this meal with you, but that would be weird to translate it that way, right? <laughs> so just to get you this idea, like it's strong desire, but the, the, the teaching is looking to use somebody's image, curves, uh, face, whatever, it, uh, just as to feed this fire. The actual literal part of the word is that it's like to turn in fire to somebody, okay? So it's like the word we get thermos from or thermostat or something like that, and the word turn put together, like just like you turn, you go, oh. You, you know, guys, you drink in somebody and you think what it would be like to have sex with that person or what it would be like to, to um, just savor their image for your pleasure. And, of course, it goes in different directions. And, uh, and you know, here's Young, which Young does a, a literal translation. Everyone who's looking at a woman to desire her. All, my, my main point is this, is that uh, being sexually attracted is as natural to humanity as being hungry. But, you know, as somebody said kind of whimsically, you know, just because a bird lands on your head doesn't mean you have to build and let it build its nest there. Right, just because you were sexually attracted to somebody doesn't mean you have to continue to savor that thought or push it. And think of all the crudeness in our culture, which we've just long crossed. We're so far from that that shore that we look back, we don't even see that 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 homeland anymore. And so, you know, just watch a, an evening talk show or something. Just watch the way all the guests talk to each other. We're way past that. We had a friend preach here on pornography once, and a guy came up to me and he said, what, what was even wrong with what he was saying? You know, so we're, you know, we're in church here, and you, I at least assume you can tell what's wrong with certain things. But what Jesus says is this, <clears throat> you know, if you look with lustful intent, you've already committed adultery with her in your heart. And if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge out and throw it away, it's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go to hell or into the fires of Gehenna, which is a, uh, where this concept, this fiery concept of hell comes from, is this place called Gehenna right outside the city's walls where all the trash was burned. And he's, he's picturing somebody going like, oh, my hand's a problem, <laughs> you know, and then throwing it into the fires of Gehenna there, you know, where my eye's a problem. And honestly, some Christians have followed this practice over the years, if you can believe it. Like, they're like, well, Jesus said it, right? This is hyperbole, folks. The reason I know it's hyperbole is this, is because you could cut everything off and still be a lustful stump. You just keep cutting things off until you're just like, your heart is the thing. Your heart is where you control what, what you want. And by the way, you need to be aware that you don't naturally control it. An untended heart will run wild. 
And for instance, in the area of pornography, continuing on in this stuff, it, you, you'll just develop more of an appetite. You'll be like, ah, oh, at least I don't do that, you know? And then you become like a Pharisee. Like you've got this little way that you're saying, here's how I am technically keeping some law. You, know, you, you spin into this weird thing where with the very heart of it, what Jesus wants is a new righteousness. He doesn't want you cutting things off. He's, Jesus is sort of funny sometimes, or at least like colorful. It's like Mark Twain or something. Like just writing this like really thing. He's like, oh, just keep cutting things off. No, his point is cutting things off won't work at all. That what will work is yielding to God on this matter. So the old, the old righteousness says no sex outside of marriage. The new righteousness says, so far beyond that, like deep respect for people who might be at some level attractive to you, but love, it's always going to get back to what is best for them, right? Is that I not enter into that kind of reflection on them, honoring those who might be attractive to you by not cultivating lust in your heart, right? So you see how Jesus is working. Look, you know, murder, you're not murdering anybody. Most of you aren't going to sleep with somebody you're not married to. But he, he's like, it's so far down. I want to clean you. I want, I want you to be well. You think when we're together with Jesus, banquet, feast of the lamb, you're, you're going to be tempted in any direction? No, you're going to be feasting in wholeness. But here, we're... All, you know you know this drives down to be perfect as your father is perfect. In other words, just be mature. Keep maturing. Keep yielding your heart to the Lord. Keep pushing on in Jesus. What are you trying to teach me about? How can I more be yours? Put me around people who are doing well in this. That's what community is for. That's what small groups are for. We get around a group of people that are trying to do this. We start out with a humility about ourselves, which Jesus is trying to get, and he goes through some others here, and I, I'm not even going to go through this slide, so you can just take it to black now. There, you, you read the rest, it's, it's again and again like that. You've heard it say, you know, an eye for an eye, but I say unto you. He just keeps going down a list of things with the idea that you've all got the problem, and anybody who's humble can get to the solution, which is Jesus and his teaching, his, his way of leading us forward. I want to close just by reading a scripture to you here. It's from Luke 19. And I'll, I'll just ask you, as a way to start our ministry time, and maybe we can have the, the band and the, the team come and get ready here. But uh, just, just in a quiet place, just, just rest under this teaching of Jesus too. There's, there's a way... Okay, there's a way that we could drive this all towards law again. And we say, oh my gosh, Jesus' law is ten times harder than the law of, of the Old Testament. But that's not it. He's calling anybody, the poorest in spirit, the most lustful person in the room, the most rage, turmoiled, you know, you know, uh, a Posing kind of person in the room. Come to him. Come to him. He's a master at the good life. And he'd like to teach you. Okay, this is just for your reflection. Just put yourself in a calm place. Maybe close your mind. Or not close your mind. 
<laughs> Close your eyes. To some who are confident of their own righteousness and look down at everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank, thank you I'm not like other people. The robbers, the evildoers, the adulterers, people who get angry at the theater, or even like this tax collector. I pray twice a week. I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance, and he wouldn't even look up at heaven, but he, he just beat his breast. And he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Why don't you stand up? Let's go home righteous.